0: thankful for you and I'm so glad that y'all are uh, here today worshiping Jesus Christ with me. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me over to Psalms chapter 56. We've been looking in Psalms the past couple of weeks and we're in a series that I've been entitled Thanks for Giving and it's just an opportunity for us to to hit the pause button and to tell Jesus how thankful we are for him and for all of his blessings. And thank God for the blessings that flow into our life each and every day. And, and over the past couple of weeks, we thank God for giving us the blessing of peace, and we thank the Lord for giving us the blessing of joy and hope. And then today, as you see on the screen, we're going to thank God for giving us not only from Psalms 56, all of those things, but we're going to thank God for giving us confidence. Because uh, I don't know about you, every now and then, we, we struggle with that. If you don't, I do. But we ought to be leaving here today. In fact, the big idea of this message is that a natural byproduct of our walk with God is the confidence that He gives us in our Christian walk. So um, let me let me just tell you this to set this up. Anytime I'm on an airplane, and that doesn't happen a lot, but the few times that I'm ever on an airplane, this always happens. It never, ever fails. And I get really motion sick a lot. In fact, right time I get on the airplane, I almost look at the stewardess or the flight attendants of Word Now and I say, Give me some ginger ale because I just don't travel well and because nine times out of ten this happens on an airplane y'all can probably identify you experience something called turbulence and y'all all have been there and you experience turbulence if you've ever flown before I don't like that it's almost like I'm on a ride at Disney World or something like the Tower of Terror and just like that you lose your stomach you just fall right y'all been on rides like that and I'm so thankful that whenever the airplane does something like that never anything that dramatic that we always seem to go back up. <laughs> I'm very thankful for that. But that's what turbulence does. It's, it's, you just kind of like loose your stomach for a second or two and then the airplane just kind of regains its altitude and stuff like that. But you're doing a little rocking and rolling, if you will. You're doing a little shakiness. And if you're a die-hard Baptist, nothing about shaking we like, right? Y'all with me? All right, just making sure y'all still with me. But it never fails. We experience turbulence and stuff like that. And, and I, you know, I've got my ginger ale there and I got those little Biscoff cookies that I like so much. I don't, don't give me pretzels, I want the cookies. And whenever you have those turbulent times, you just spill that ginger ale all over your cookies and that just makes your day even worse because you want more ginger ale, you want more cookies and stuff like that. But I would be amiss to tell you that whenever I experience turbulence on an airplane and I look out over that wing because I always try to sit kind of close to the wing because I like the leg room, right? Not that I'm all that tall, but I like space. And I look out over that wing, here's what I see that wing doing whenever we experience turbulence. It's just going like that, right? And I don't know about you, but two things come to my mind. One that goes to my mind is, Lord, is, is that wing going to stay attached to this plane? Because it's just going like this. I mean, just really, it's freaking me out. And, and I don't like things like that to shake. Remember, I'm a Baptist and stuff like that. But that wing's just going like this. And then this thought comes to my mind. I thought, oh, my gosh, the parts that went into building that wing, it's probably from the lowest bidder. Right? <laughs> And all of that stuff that's going through my mind, I analyze things to death and I'm thinking of all that stuff. And it's just amazing to me how much those wings shake. But the truth of the matter is those wings aren't going to fall off. I just want to set your heart at ease. You say, how do you know that? Uh, You're not an airline pilot, nor are you an engineer. And, And I know full well I'm neither one of those. But listen to a guy that knows about airlines. His name is Patrick Smith and he's the commercial airline pilot and he flies the Boeing 757s, Boeing 767s. He knows a thing or two about flying. And he talks in an article about turbulence. Listen to what he says. He says, For all intents and purposes, a plane cannot be flipped upside down, thrown into a tailspin, or otherwise flung from the sky, or even by the mightiest gust or air pocket. Conditions might be annoying and uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. uh, they might be annoying and uncomfortable, but the plane's not going to crash. Usually when passengers experience turbulence, the pilots are in the cockpit riding things out, planning what will happen next, and they're trying not to spill their own orange juice. Hey, here's the point of the article. If pilots are in the cockpit there and they're experienced turbulence and they're not afraid, us passengers can experience turbulence as well. And though it's a whole lot of shaking going on, we need not be afraid as well. Now, none of us are on an airplane right now, but we're just doing life together. So let me just ask you this. Have you ever discovered in your life that life can sometimes be turbulent? Mm. Now, we If I were to say, kind of get a witness, I would imagine the, just about all of our hands would go up because life can sometimes be turbulent. And we wonder when life shakes us up and when we go through times of turbulence in our life, when the bottom falls out, what in the world's gonna happen next? I mean, good grief, what's 2021 gonna look like? 2020's been kinda bad enough, right? What's gonna happen next year when life is even more turbulent? Well, here's here's the beautiful truth. When we experience turbulence in our life, our God is never, ever, ever shaken. When you experience turbulence in your life, it's seasons of turbulence in your life or days of turbulence in your life. Know that your God and my God is never, ever shaken. We can have confidence to go through whatever turbulence life throws at us. Y'all with me? So Psalms 56 is a Psalm written by David and the inscription there of Psalms 56 tells us this is by David. And David has taken solace, if you will. He's really running for his life. And he, and he finds himself living there. And if you wonder what that is, that's Bethune, South Carolina. No, I'm just joking. That's not Bethune. That's actually biblical Gath. That, so when you read in scripture about Gath, this is it. This is one of the pictures I want to show you of, of biblical Gath. And that's where David is. And he's running from his life because there's a guy named King Saul that wants him dead, dead. So, needless to say, this is a time of great turbulence in the life of David. Saul was uh, had got to a point in his life where his mind was just not there. Uh, he, he was a very, very hated man, and he, he didn't like people. He especially didn't like David. And if anything, he wanted David dead. The sooner the better. He was a very, very jealous guy. He, he was just a he was just odd. I mean, he had got to a point in his life where things just didn't work. Anymore. He, he was what? Let me just take one of my favorite theologians. I mean, this guy's deep. Some of y'all are Paul David Tripp fans and stuff like that, or John Piper fans. Yeah, I am too. But this guy's deep. His name is Barney Fife. Y'all remember Barney Fife <laughs> from Mayberry? Barney Fife will tell Andy about somebody like King Saul. He's a nut, Andy. He's a nut. And that's exactly what King Saul was at this point in his life. He's just a nut and he's after David. And David's running wild there in the wilderness from Saul. And what's interesting about this place called Gath, and that's just one scene of what it looks like, beautiful place. And this is another. You can almost imagine David hiding out there in those caves and in those crevices there of the rock. Gath was where the Philistines were from. (laughs) And the Philistines and Israel were, were sworn enemies. They didn't like each other at all. But Gath not only was where the Philistines were from, Gath was the home of, of a giant of a man named Goliath. And that's where David is now living. Now, remember, Goliath is the hometown hero. He's from Gath. And now the giant slayer, this man named David, finds himself living there in, in Gath here you say, well, how old was David at the time? Well, we don't, we don't really know. He was probably in his young 20s. What we do know is that his mighty men that we read about were nowhere near David at this time in his life. And he's, he's all along. He, he, there's no traveling companions with him. He's in Gath running all along. He's in hostile territory. These are the Philistines. He slew their favorite son named Goliath. And he's living among them, running from Saul. And in the middle of turbulent times, because that's what it was for him at this point in his life, he demonstrates and he, he declares this. <laughs> In the midst of all of these troubling times, David declared confidence in God. And I want to leave that on the screen for you as we read our text in just a few seconds. Because in the midst of your troubling times, and you say, well, I really haven't had any troubling times. It's been chaotic. It's been weird going through COVID and stuff like that this year. But at some point in your life, you will have troubling times. And whenever you go through troubling times, like David, if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior you can have confidence. The same confidence David had, you can have in God. I hope you got your Bibles open to Psalms chapter 56, and let's read what God's Word has in store for us today. Beginning there at verse 1, David writes, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long. And I can just imagine David saying this all day long, all day long, an attacker Oppresses me, My enemies trample on me all day long. So whenever you see in Scripture phrases or words that repeat themselves, uh, that's when you need to mark them down, highlight them, make a note by them because it means something. And we'll talk about that in a minute. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. Or their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O oh God. And one of the things I love about David is not only is he brutally honest to God, we can get a glimpse in, as to what's going on in his life. Now, If you hear people say they're, you're, you're too transparent, this is too much information, it's almost, that's David almost. He's just being really, really open and transparent here. Look what he says in verse eight. You have kept count of my tossings. You put tears in your bottle and they are not in your book. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of life. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. I would ask you to uh, bow with me in prayer and let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the church that's gathered. And Lord, I just pray that we might see uh, your power through your word and through your spirit that's in this place today speaking to our hearts. And Lord, as I often pray, please help me not to say or do anything that would take away from what you uh, want to accomplish in this place today. Uh, Give us words that sustain us in turbulent times that we may experience, not only the rest of this year, but for the rest of our life until you call us home in heaven. And we pray in Jesus' name, and if you agree with that prayer, say amen, church. Amen. Thank you so very much. So I want us to look at this passage today, and I want to talk to you about the confidence you can have because of the Lord Jesus in your life. There again, if you walk with the Lord, you're going to be able to have a confident walk with your life. Uh, confidence and a walk with the Lord just goes, just goes together. So, so I want to show you what the Bible can tell us about confidence in God this morning. Confidence in God basically embarrasses our foes. When you have a confidence in God, it's a confidence that embarrasses our foes. Verse one, keep your Bibles open. It's just amazing how these words just come off the page here. Verse one, David tells us that he's under attack by his enemies. He's under attack by his foes. And I want you just to notice the range of all of these attacks. He's being attacked in a number, in a number of ways. He says in verse 1, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. Y'all see that word? For man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies, my foes trample on me all day long, for many attack me. That word trample basically means that that you've got somebody running after you, so much, so fast, so hard that you are literally out of breath. There is the day when I would play basketball with my boys. I still do. But there is a the day when I never went out of breath playing basketball. There is the day that I won every single game, not anymore. <laughs> and even when I think I'm in pretty good shape and I'm playing basketball with them, guess what I'm doing at the end of the game? I'm calling timeouts. I'm taking water breaks. Steve, I'm so out of breath. I am panting for air. I need, I need some oxygen. I need an oxygen tank. That's basically what David is doing here. He's talking about being trampled. He's he's saying, I've got a predator that's pursuing me as much and as fast and as hard as he can, and I'm just panting. I'm just running trying to get out of him. That's the picture he's painting here through these words. He says, I'm on the run, and I've got an enemy breathing down in my neck attacking me. And not only is this attacker trampling me, he's, he's oppressing me. That word oppress basically means to squeeze, like you squeeze out a wash rag. All right, and you get all the soap out of that wash rag there. Or somebody gives you a lemon and you squeeze that lemon. Y'all have heard the old phrase, if life gives you lemons, make what? Yeah, I prefer sweet tea, just, just so you know. If life gives me lemons, I want some sweet tea with a little bit of lemon on there. But that's what he's saying. He said, this attacker just squeezed the, the life out of me. And he's running after me so hard that I'm just being trampled. So basically the picture that David is painting for us is that he, he, this is a man in torment. And there again, he's living where the Philistines were up there in Gath and all that rocky mountainside. Yeah, it's beautiful. But that's where he's living, trying to flee from Saul. So he's like, I got this attacker running after me. He's breathing down my neck. He's just crushing me. And then he says these words here in verse 2. He says, many attack me proudly. And when you think of that phrase, that many are attacking me proudly, what David is saying, he's basically giving us what the battlefield looks like. Because what that phrase means is that the enemy is coming from on high. They're attacking me from on high. So basically what David is like, he's in a valley, and his enemy, Saul, and those that are attacking him are coming from on high. Anytime you come from your coming and you're having an attack from on high, military strategy say you want the high ground. That, that's, that's to your advantage, and that's what David's enemies have. They have the high ground, and David just feels defenseless. So he says in verse 5 about his enemy All day long, they injure my cause. In other words, what David is saying now is not only do I feel like I'm in the valley, not only am I panting, I'm out of breath running from my enemy, not only does my life feel like it's squeezed, they are taking my very words and they're twisting them. Y'all ever had anybody do that? Just take your words and they twist them and they say, well, you know, so-and-so said this and you're thinking, "I, I never said that. And they're twisting your words and that's what's going on here. Who knows? Can you imagine if they had Facebook and Twitter and Instagram back in David's day? Boy, they really would have been twisting David's words. And I think all of us can identify with some aspect of what David's going through right now. He's being attacked on a number of fronts. And then he says in verse 5 all their thoughts against me are evil. Everything they think about me are evil. Down deep in their hearts, they're nothing but evil. There's not one ounce of good, of, of good in them. There's not one drop of mercy. There's not one drop of kindness in them. So he says in verse 6, they're stirring up strife, and they watch my steps as they wait for my life. So David is saying, man, they're, they're watching me. They're kind of like Big brother. They know everywhere I go, they know what I'm doing, they're always out there watching, waiting, they want to to destroy me. That's just the range of attacks on David. And if I was in David's shoes, I think I might want to go like this. (sighs) Y'all remember the old commercial from years ago, Calgon, take me away? That's probably what David could say right now. Just Lord, get me out of this. Because his enemy is attacking him from all of these different fronts. But then notice with me the relentlessness that he faces from his foes. I mean, they really were relentless. We see a couple of times in verse one, in verse two and verse five, this phrase that repeats itself. All day, what? Long, all day, all day long, they are coming after him. It kind of reminds me of the old kids' song, I've been working on the railroad all my live long day. Y'all remember that? David, I think David sang it first. He wasn't working on the railroad. He's running from his life all the live long day. <laughs> I mean, all day long, they're coming against him. They didn't take a snack break. They didn't take a smoke break. They didn't take a coffee break. They're always at it. And he says, all day long, all day long, it's just an unrelenting attack from them. Y'all ever been there? I can't I can imagine none of us would have an enemy the way David has an enemy, but I think we've all been there with people who come at us in one way, shape, or form, maybe through a little comment or through a post here or a post there, and they're they're attacking you in some some way, shape, or form. I heard about a boxer that was in the boxing ring, and he he was in that that boxing ring just going at it with his opponent, and the bell rang, and he came back to his corner there, and he tells his manager, he's like, man, he's bloody, and he's bruised, and he's like, you've got to throw in the towel. I'm being smothered out there. I'm being killed out there. And his manager, I think, was just trying to pick up his spirits and says, hey, don't worry about it. He had not laid a glove on you. I remind you, he's bloodied and he's bruised. And he's like, well, if I'm not fighting somebody, you look at that referee because somebody's killing me out there. That's what David's going through here. And I think we all can identify, you know, and at times like that, we don't sometimes need a pep talk, do we? That's what that manager was trying to do. Sometimes we just need somebody to come and deliver us. We need someone like Jesus to do that. You ever thought why David was under attack? I mean, he's, he's, he's a man after God's own heart, right? Or did he sin? Oh, yeah, he sinned greatly, but still a man after God's own heart. And here he was following God. As much as he knew how, as much as he could, he was following God. He was obeying God. He was serving God. He was seeking to please God. He was living his best life now for God. But sometimes you and I need to be reminded, and if I were to get you to write anything down, it might be something like this. If you follow Jesus, don't expect everybody to love you. And if you follow Jesus, don't expect everybody to be nice to you or good to you or even to respect you. I used to think that just if I was a good person, you know, if I was just a a good Southern gentleman, I still like that phrase, a good Southern gentleman. I was just a good Southern gentleman that, that was good to people, nice to people, kind enough to people, then people will like me. That's not necessarily the case, is it? Maybe it was years ago, but not necessarily today. And then I used to think, well, if, if people know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, well, well, then you'll be respected in some way, shape, or form. Uh, there, there's a really deep theological word for that, nope. <laughs> just because you're a good person, just because you're a follower of Jesus, doesn't mean people are going to automatically love you and respect you and and love and and just be kind to you. If you follow Jesus, you can expect the opposite. You can expect to be persecuted. And we don't like to be persecuted, but you can still expect to be persecuted, even here in America. And I think it's gonna get worse in terms of being a follower of Jesus and being persecuted. But if you decide to follow Jesus, which is a great hymn, if you decide to follow Jesus, you can't expect persecution. You can't expect turbulent seasons in your life, but know this, God will provide and in the midst of your attacks, just like David, you can say, Oh God, be gracious to me. And that what he's basically saying, Lord, have mercy upon me. Have have your favor upon me. Look look what he says in verse eight there. David just um he he's struggling. He's like, You've kept, Lord, you've kept count of my tossing. You you notice how many tears I shed, but yet in confidence, he says, God, I know you haven't forgotten me. <laughs> he's a confident man, even though he's running for his life He says, Lord, you know all the sleepless nights I've had. You know every tear I've shed, but I've got confidence in you to provide for me, to take care of me. Then he says in verse nine, my enemies will turn back hmm, because you're for me. Y'all see that in verse nine? Lord, I know my enemies are gonna turn back because you are for me. That's how much confidence David had, even though he was running for his life. So let me just sum it up before we move on, is that just know that if you've got people coming against you, If you've ever experienced turbulent times in your life, you can have a confidence that God is for you. Amen? You know, something else about biblical confidence is that confidence in God erases our fears. And if you've got confidence in God, if you have a close walk with God, uh, you can live a life without fear, which is hard to do because we're human, but it's true. If you look in your Bibles at verses 3 and 4 and then verses 10 and 11... Those, those verses are very, very similar, but yet they're different. They're similar, but yet they're different. In fact, let me just point them out to you. In verses three and four, David says, I have fear, and when I have fear, uh, then I wanna trust in God. So, so that's what he's basically saying in verse three there. He's, he's saying, I'm afraid, and when I'm afraid, I'm gonna trust in God. If you see that, say amen if you've got your Bibles open. All right, thank you. And then in verse three, he says, if he has fear, he trusts in God. But in verse four, he trusts in God, and then he never has fear. And that's when we all go, hmm. <laughs> so in verse three, he has fear, then he trusts in God, but in verse four, he trusts in God, and then he never has fear. There's a difference in verse three, and there's a difference there in verse four. In verse three, he has fear, and he takes that fear to God, and he trusts God. But in verse four, he trusts God to, be start, to start with from the beginning, and he never has fear. So hey, look this way. Verse three is great, right? Verse three really is great. Verse four is better. Verse three is great, but verse four is better. It's great to bring our fears to God, but man, oh man, can you imagine if we lived our life like a verse four type of life, where we're just gonna trust God so much we really have nothing to fear? And then if you look at verse 11, he says, in God, I'm gonna trust, I'm not gonna be afraid. And then he says these these words, hey, what can man do to me? Well, I can tell you what man can do to you. But anyway, David's saying, what can man do to me? So again, verse 11, he trusts in God first and he shall not be afraid. So so we can have a confidence in God that just erases our fears. And I really think this is a, a great word. Your faith in God will not eliminate turbulence in your life. Your faith in God will not eliminate the turbulence in your life, but your faith in God shows you whenever you have turbulence where to go. And you go to King Jesus. David says, when I'm afraid, I trust in you. And when I trust in you, I'm not afraid. Hey, here's the key to allow you to trust in God and not be afraid. We see it a couple of times, three different times in verses 4 and 10. Here's the key to having confidence and never being afraid. I want you all to see it. In fact, you all to mark it in your Bibles. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. That's the key. When you're faced with fear, you bring your fears to the Word of God. And the Word of God that speaks God to you will just, I think, just sweeten your heart. It will soften your heart. It would allow you to say, I have nothing to fear. Second Timothy 1 verse 7, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and of self-discipline. So if you've got a confidence in God that's based off of your walk with God, he's going to give you a confidence that erases any type of fears that you've got. I know so many people that I've seen through the years that are just, they're just scared to take that step that they have fear and they think about what god might want them to do and they're fearful i know somebody that for for years wanted to be a missionary but there was that fear of leaving home that was that fear of doing something that was definitely out of her comfort zone i know somebody else that felt called to preach years and years ago but yet fear kept him man god gives us not a spirit of fear but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline and if you got to walk with god you can get a confidence with god to match it y'all with me Hey, let me just tell you this. I, I remember speaking about enemies to your foes. I remember years ago, and this is another tangent I want to get off on, but I, it'll bless my heart if I share it with you. I hope it'll bless your heart. But there's a pastor that doesn't know me from Adam, but I know him. He's, he's been a pastor here in South Carolina for many years. He retired from leading a, a really big church in the upstate a couple of years ago. And But let me tell you what he went through. Uh, he transitioned his church from a downtown location to what at that time was a, was a suburb of the greenville Greer area up in the upstate. And when he transitioned his church, boy, he went through it. He went through the ringer. Not only from some people in his church, how dare you move our church from where it is to where it is now, but he went through it. This was before social media, before Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. So y'all know how people attacked others at that time. It was through print. It was through the newspaper. So, so many people were going to the newspaper, writing letters to the editor, complaining about this pastor. And he gets up in the pulpit because people were telling him, leaders were telling him, you've got to address this. You've got to address it from the pulpit. You've got to write your own letters to the editor, giving a a defense as to why we're doing what we're doing here because it was a stately church in a downtown area. And for all those detractors that could have caused great fear in his life, let me tell you what happened with him. (laughs) He said, God's going to be our defender. God's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of you. And God's going to take care of them. That man had a confidence because of his walk with God. Anyway, that leads me to something else that just ties right along with confidence in God and what it means for you and for me, and that is that confidence in God emboldens our faith. I mean, we have we have nothing to fear, right? And our faith in God, our confidence in God, is just strengthened. Look at verse twelve and following. I must perform my vows. To you, O God, I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, you've delivered my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. If you got your Bibles so open, look at verse thirteen. David says, "God, you have delivered me. You've delivered my soul from death." And, and what what David is saying is like, "God, you've saved me. You've delivered my soul from death." So, based on that, we see three affirmations beginning here in verse thirteen or well, what David says, I'm going to do because you've saved my soul. In fact, I want you just to look at what these three affirmations of David are. This, this is his testimony. This is what he, this is almost like his New Year resolutions. This is what he says he's going to do. He says, I must, I will, and I may. He says, I'm, I'm going to do something. I must, I will, and I may. He says, I'm, I'm, I must perform my vows to you, O God. He's saying, God, since you've saved me, I'm going to do what I promised that I'm going to to do for you and for your glory in light of what you've done for me I'm going to perform my vows to you and and there there are some things that you and I must do because of what God's done for us more than anything we've got to follow him in lordship he's got to be preeminent in our life You, you can't surrender to him if he's not lord you can only surrender when he is lord Surrendering doesn't save you, but being saved surrenders you. So David is saying, because of what you've done for me, I'm gonna perform my vows to you. And then he says, this is something else he says he's gonna do, because of you saving my soul, I'm gonna do something, I will do something. So what he must do is what he had to do, but here he says, I'm gonna do something. This is what I will do, this is what I want to do. He says, Lord, this is what I want to do. I want to render thanksgivings to you. I want to render to you a sacrifice of praise because of all that you've done for me. Remember where he's at. People are trampling to get him. He's in the enemy of Israel. He's in their homeland. He's in the homeland of Gath and the Philistines. So so, so let's put it in, in our modern day vernacular for where we are living today. If God has saved you, if we're really being like David... Like David, we want to say, God, we want to serve you. We want to honor you. We want to give everything we have to the Master in terms of our time, treasure, and talents. And that's just where David is. So he says, I must, I will, and then he says, I may. He says, I may. I, I get to do this for you. I may walk before God in the light of life. David is saying, This is what I get to do. I get to enjoy your presence, not only here in Gath, where people are attacking me, but I get to enjoy your presence even when I'm not in Gath, and when life is good. You see, when we walk with a confidence in God, it just emboldens everything about our faith. If you were to tell me, hey, let's go to Israel today. I'm leaving on a jet plane. Some of y'all already want to sing that song, right? I'm leaving anyway. Yeah, if y'all to say, hey, let's go to Israel today. All right, let's go to Africa. Okay. Let's go to Croatia, like we saw in the video. All right, why is that? Why do you have that confidence? Because because I'm confident in the one that's emboldening my faith here, strengthening my faith. So what in the world in this day and age should be your response and my response to the confidence that God gives us? Well, because Jesus gives us confidence, I will not let fear rule my life. You know, there are some people that struggle and they let fear rule their life instead of letting God rule their life. Uh, If you fear God, listen, if you fear God, you have nothing to fear. If you fear God, you have nothing to fear. So don't succumb to fear in your life. Um, You you trust in God. And then another response from you that, and this is just some practical steps that we can put in place today as a result of, of being in this text today is that I will let God take care of my foes. And there again, I know you don't have any enemies, you don't have any foes the way David had, but but you may have some people down the road that don't like you for one thing or another. And you just let God deal with those people. God's gonna take care of you. God's gonna take care of you. And then thirdly, you can put your trust in him. You can live your life worry-free, which is hard for somebody like me to do because I'm always analyzing this, that, and the other. It's just who I am. And I think it's getting worse the older I get. So I'm preaching to the choir here this morning. I just want you to know that, that we both can live, all of us can live a worry-free life if we place our confidence in Jesus. Hey, I close with this. It was May the 26th, 2013, 4.30 in the morning. The Jascon 4, which is one of uh, three tugboats towing an oil freighter off the coast of Nigeria, began to sink. The tugboat's 29-year-old cook, a man by the name of Harrison Okane from Nigeria, immediately knew that something was wrong. The vessel began to sink and descended some 100 feet below the surface of the ocean until it hit the Atlantic ocean floor. And then it pitched itself upside down. Harrison was tossed to and fro from his small quarters, and he, he groped his way through the darkness and throughout those icy waters, and he found a cabin where well, there's just an air pocket, enough air for him to breathe for however long it would last. He made himself a platform, a makeshift platform. He would stack mattresses on top of one or the other in an attempt to just escape the rising water and to get him out of the water. He had been asleep at 4.30 in the morning. He was dressed in his pajamas, but he sat on that mattresses and he was just waiting for help. Now imagine, you're in your PJs on the bottom of the ocean floor, just a little bit of an air pocket, that's left for you to survive, and you're in icy, frigid waters. And as he thought about being rescued, he thought, it's really, really remote. Harrison is a follower of Jesus. And that night before all of that turbulence, that catastrophe took place in his life, his wife had sent him some Bible verses to read. Not just some Bible verses, she sent him chapters to read. In fact, his wife had told him she wanted him to read from Psalms chapter 54 all the way to Psalms chapter 92. That's not just a chapter, that's chapters. She said, honey, you you read these chapters in God's word, I think it'll be a blessing to you today. And he started reading chapters 54 through 92, and we read one of those chapters today. So as he went to sleep that night, he was pondering one verse in particular, crying out to God like David did to sustain his life, to, to save his life, and then catastrophe struck. For two and a half days, he lived in that little air pocket of that capsized tugboat. He began to think that the rest of the crew had died and had drowned and that surely he would drown as well. But then he heard something on the hull (laughs) and some Danish divers were using a hammer to knock on the hull of that ship. And he heard it and he knocked back. And then as the Danish divers made their way through that capsized tub boat, just reaching in the darkness, they felt a hand, and they just knew it was the hand of somebody that had drowned, but then that hand grasped them back. That would have scared the life out of me. And And they were able, long story short, to pull him through the surface. 72 hours, 72 hours, he was underwater. Talk about being in a time of turbulence in your life but yet he experienced divine deliverance. Listen to what he told a Nigerian newspaper. He said, "The rest of my life is not enough to thank God for this incredible wonder." Indeed, it's a miracle. So let me just ask you this question as we close this series on thanks for giving. Have you been saved? And you hear preachers say that a lot on Sundays. You should hear them say it on Sundays. Have you been saved? Because you need to be saved. Obviously, you need your sins forgiven. God's prepared for you a place in heaven. If I were to call my little girl Sarah up here and I give her a phone, and let's pretend it's a new phone. Let's <laughs> pretend, right? And if I were to give her a new phone and say, hey, do you want this? She probably will take it out of my hand. What teenager wouldn't, right? God has given you a gift called salvation and eternal life. He, he wants your sins forgiven. He paid the price for it on the cross. He wants you to live with him in heaven one day. Talk about something to be thankful for at Thanksgiving. And he's saying, here it is. Do you want it? I pay the price for you. He's wanting you to take that first step. Of a, He's done everything, but he's wanting you to take that first step. He gives us a choice to either accept his gift or to reject it. So, so let me ask you, have you been saved? Does God hear your prayers? Does he answer your prayers? Has he shown himself, like he did in Harrison's case, powerful in your life? Has he rescued you? Has he delivered you? Because if he has, so any of those things that I've shared with you just now, There's not enough days in my life, there's not enough days of your life this side of heaven to give him thanks. Let me ask you to bow your head, every head bowed and every eye closed. Uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for making a way for us to live with you in heaven one day. Thank you for for going to the cross for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for providing for somebody like me a place in heaven, uh, an abode up there with you in heaven a home in heaven. And Lord, as we praise you this morning, we praise you for your might. We praise you for your power. We praise you for your faithfulness. And Lord, however many days you allow us to live this side of eternity, there's not enough days for us to express thanksgiving to you for the hope, for the joy, for the peace, for the confidence that you give us. And Lord, I just want to thank you today for Jesus who died on the cross for my sins, who died on the cross for the sins of everybody that is here. And Lord, I pray there is a day in the life of each and every soul that is here, there there's a day in the life when they ask you to be their savior. They acknowledge that they're a sinner and they acknowledge the only way they could be forgiven of their sins is by placing their faith and their trust in you. Father, if there's nobody here that's done that, may they do that today. May they see me or Trey at the end of this service and say, hey, I wanna make sure I'm saved. Father, um, I pray as we start the Christmas season and all the rush that the holiday brings, that you would help us to slow down and to ponder the greatest gift that all of us received. And that's the gift of your son. Father, thank you for speaking to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to stand to your feet and we're going to sing a closing song and uh, Trey and myself will be down front. If you want to come to this altar and pray, hey, the altar is always open. That's a given when we end a service. This altar is always open open for you to pray for yourself or for your loved one for somebody that god's laid upon your heart uh maybe you're thinking hey i want to be a part of this church i, I like it you know what i like it too <laughs> so um so we want you to be a part of this church and don't just be a part of it to warm our seat we want you to get involved we want you to serve the lord with gladness here in this church and just see what doors god opens up for us but uh, this is when you respond so as, as god allows us to stand and sing. You lay something on your heart and you feel like you need to respond publicly, you do that. Amy, I'll hush. Lead us.